It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Support of Locked On Raptors comes from Manscaped, who is number one in men's below-the-belt grooming. You may have seen them on Shark Tank. Manscaped offers precision engineering tools for your family jewels. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code LOCKEDON at manscaped.com. That's 20% off at manscaped, M-A-N-S-C-A-P-E-D.com with promo code LOCKEDON. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hey, what's up? Welcome to episode number 554 of Locked on Raptors for Friday, August 2nd. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter, as always, at WoodleySean. Find the show at Locked on Raptors, where you can find links to every single episode of the podcast. And of course, please make sure you're checking out the Locked on Podcast Network. We got team focus shows for all 30 NBA teams. And if you are looking for a sport that is in season, we got the MLB shows kicking right now. Uh, if your team made some moves at the deadline, make sure you're checking out, checking out the corresponding Locked On show. Locked On Blue Jays will have you covered if you're a Jays fan, and all the other teams are covered as well. And if you're an NFL fan, I believe there was a preseason game last night. That sounds horribly uninteresting, but if you are the kind of person who likes that thing, who am I to yuck somebody's yum? And you can check out the corresponding Locked On podcast to whatever teams they were that played last night. I think it was Atlanta and Denver, but but I can't be entirely sure. Uh, either way, the NFL Network is ramping up with the season coming up and preseason underway, and it should be a great uh, way to get your local perspective on all the teams around the league. And, of course, the Locked On NFL show with Brian Peacock and Matt Williamson is going strong as well. Uh, please make sure you're subscribing, rating, reviewing, all that good stuff. iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, Himalaya. And uh, that'll do it with the asking you to do stuff to support the show. All right, on today's show, it's just me going solo, and I am... On the precipice of vacation, I leave for a 15-hour drive to Moncton, New Brunswick uh, at the time of recording about eight hours from now, so uh, apologies if I sound like I'm already in vacation mode, but I'm not. I want to try to hammer through a good podcast here. There's actually some stuff to talk about Raptors-wise, which is nice and fresh and uh, has not been the case for the last couple weeks here, uh, hence why we did podcasts like the one yesterday with myself and Katie, where we talked, uh, we didn't talk, we did a live, live reading of her uh, Duncanstein fanfic from the classical back in 2017. If you haven't heard it, please check it out. We put a lot of work into it. It's very weird, very fun, something very different, and uh, it's uh, something I hope we can keep keep on doing. It's the second time we've done it, and I love it. It's great, so please listen to that. All right. On today's show, it is just me, as I mentioned, on the verge of vacation, and I wanted to get one more in before going away, and uh, so we'll talk about a couple topics off the top, then we'll get to a bunch of mailbag questions, which will be the crux of today's show. Let's get to the big topics first. I guess the number one thing, if we want to talk about it, I don't really want to talk about it, but I'm sure the people want me to talk about it. The Toronto Raptors have a Christmas game. Yes, a Christmas game on Christmas Day, during the day. When all of the teams are playing, all of the important teams in the NBA are playing typically, and also the Knicks sometimes, although not this year. Uh, yeah, the Raptors are going to be playing Christmas. They're going to host the Boston Celtics at Scotiabank Arena on Christmas. The time I don't think we have just yet. I would imagine it'll be like an early afternoon game. That seems like that's the slot that'll fill. 
maybe like the second game of the afternoon after Denver and New Orleans take up the early spot, but then that's a West Coast game, so maybe that's the late game. Who knows? Either way, the Raptors are playing on Christmas, and uh, people who have complained about this and the lack of a Christmas game for many, many years, I'm sure are rejoicing and uh, frolicking in the streets because of this wonderful news. I personally think it's kind of dumb. I think it was kind of a silly thing to care all that much about. I know... Raptors fans are always looking for validation and looking for American recognition, and uh, personally, I think that should be gone now that the Raptors have won the title. It should not really even be a thing that people care about. Who gives a shit what the Americans think about? The Raptors have a title, and nothing can take that away, and their title gives them relevance on its own. So that's that. But with this Christmas Day game, yeah, I'm sure it'll be nice. People who like to watch basketball on Christmas, that'll be great. I personally tend to not tend to watch the games on Christmas very much. I'll watch them in the background. If there's a close game at the finish, I'll maybe catch it. Usually the dinnertime game, you know, like 5 o'clock or whatever it is, happens just before I tend to eat with my family. So I'll usually catch that game before I'm yelled at to turn the TV off. But for the most part, I'm not really into watching the Christmas games because I'd like to hang out with my family. I realize not everyone does want to do that, so that's fair. I think this is fine. I just I have no real feelings about it. I think it's weird that we make all the players, all the best players play on Christmas. I feel like I think I would rather Kyle Lowry get to hang out with his kids in the morning on Christmas Day and not have to go to work. But uh, I guess this is the price of being a professional basketball player and making a lot of money, I suppose. I just I don't see why the Christmas thing needs to be what it is the games are never particularly interesting to me they're never like i can't remember like a great christmas day game in my life they just kind of happen and nothing is super notable and no one's paying 100 percent attention to them anyway uh i can promise you i will not be covering the game in person i'm sorry if you're looking for my coverage from the game that day i will not be providing it but uh glad it made some people happy i suppose on a friday afternoon as that leaked also the news came down that Kawhi leonard's return to toronto is something raptor fans aren't going to have to wait a ton of time for it's going to happen december 11th apparently which is uh, on a wednesday i believe that's cool it's better than waiting until february like the raptors had to do to wait for demar Derozan to return uh, i believe that'll be the first time they play the clippers as well so that's i, I mean I, I can't possibly know that but it seems like it would check out if it's in the first part of the season the next clippers game will be later in the year perhaps i don't know but yeah, that's uh, th- that's that'll be fun. I can't wait for, for that to happen. I can't wait for Kawhi to get his ring. I can't wait for the response because I'm sure the response is going to be ludicrous. I wonder if there's like a rough start to the season, if it like dampens the response for Kawhi Leonard at all. I wouldn't think so. I think no matter what it is, maybe even more so if the Raptors are struggling without him, maybe the appreciation for what he did will be that much more voiced by the by the crowd who's to say but uh those are the two big schedule bits down today uh one thing i'm not going to miss about being on vacation for a couple weeks is uh not caring about the schedule and uh random nba internet beefs and conversations and debates that's that's going to be nice to step away from for for a little bit in a place where i have little to no wi-fi uh anyway Let's uh, continue on. Some other topics came out today. Jordan Lloyd uh, had apparently mutually agreed to be waived by the Raptors. This is something that I kind of expected when you saw the roster crunch for the Raptors. They were already at 20 guys, which is the most you can carry uh, outside of the regular season. And Lloyd just kind of felt like a bit of a surplus. I guess if you're the kind of person who believes in Lloyd over campaign, if you really have opinions about those two against each other, 
that's like a deep August conversation, then maybe you're disappointed by this, and it kind of signals that maybe Campaign is going to have a, sh- a chance here to be the third point guard on the team. Uh, I don't ever really think Jordan Lloyd was going to do it. I think he was great in the G League and just never really had the chops to be a ball handler in the NBA. And he's a tweener. That's that's fine. I'm glad the Raptors stuck it out with him for a year, or was it maybe two years with the, with the two-way deal for him. Glad he got to be around. He's forever in the, uh, the crouching picture with Kawhi Leonard when he hits the shot against the Sixers in Game 7. That's cool as hell. I'm pretty sure I have a t-shirt or something with him on it. Uh, that, that's, that's cool. He's always going to be part of the team, and uh, I will update where he fits in the Raptors' all-time rankings on my updated Ranking Every Raptor at some point over the course of the next month or two. I'm sure it won't be super high, but hey, he was around, and that's fun. And honestly, can't really remember even like a great Jordan Lloyd performance or game. I think he maybe had like an eight-point game at some point, but he was mostly just a garbage time dude. And uh, I would guess this probably means, given the timing, the European seasons are kind of starting up. I wonder if this means he's got some irons in the fire over in Europe. We just saw a couple guys, I think Tyler Ennis signed over in Europe, uh, as did Nick Stauskas, and I wonder if... Maybe Jordan Lloyd's going to be next because, you know, the NBA may not be for him and you can make some good money in Europe and maybe come back and try to hack it again a little bit later on. But uh, farewell to Jordan Lloyd. I guess that mean campaign's going to have a chance and that brings the Raptors down to 19 guys, which opens up the spot for Vince Carter, which is very good and I'm happy to see that. Uh, Lastly, because this is now a Team Canada podcast a little bit for the next month and a half or so until the end of the World Cup, should run through a couple of notes Regarding that, R.J. Barrett is not going to play since the last time we did a podcast uh, that came down that he is not going to play for Team Canada. He's getting ready for a season with the Knicks. Usually the rookies don't tend to play in these tournaments. I thought maybe because A, R.J. Barrett's dad, Rowan Barrett, runs the entire program, and B that it's such an important year for Canada internationally and qualifying for the Olympics is is going to be tough. We talked on Monday, myself and John Chick, um, because I can't read the internet apparently about the the pathway to the to the championship or not the championship, but the qualification being relatively easy and smooth. And that's not the case at all. I was totally mistaken, and I, I want to thank. I think it was at Witter Twenty. Apologies if I got the uh, Twitter handle wrong, but corrected me and John and said, nope, it's a lot harder than that. They have to finish top two in the Americas division, which includes Argentina, Brazil, all the South American teams, and Argentina's run in particular to a potential number two overall finish in a semifinal or something like that is much easier than Canada's because of Canada's tough group and the fact that France is in the group next to them that they'll be pooled with in round two should Canada advance. So not going to be super easy and it may, is made less easy by RJ Barrett no longer being on the team it seemed like he was he was invited to camp obviously and it seemed like maybe things were on track for him to play even though he's a rookie going into his first year apparently there's a bit of an injury he's dealing with as well so I guess that's the easy out for him and hey like I get it I I don't begrudge guys who are going into their rookie years I don't really begrudge anyone for not playing with the national team like it's disappointing for sure and it'd be nice if people cared about it a little bit more and I can imagine American fans who were really into the U.S. basketball program which maybe there aren't that many of those but I can imagine they're pretty disappointed as well with how things have gone with the U.S. team but with no Barrett, that's a tough loss because Canada is pretty thin on the wings. If there's a spot where they really, really could use some extra 
pop and and sort of off the bounce scoring and some and some just like talent just a little ceiling it's on the wing for sure and I think this is going to mean assuming Shea Gilgis Alexander Jamal Murray and Corey Joseph all play I think it's going to mean a lot of three-point guard lineups and you throw in Kevin Pangos or whoever else is in the backcourt there we'll see a lot of heavy guard lineups and they'll try to mitigate it that way because of the size that Shea has maybe that's something you can get around also Dwight Powell is not going to be playing he was ruled out yesterday and I I think Dylan Brooks is also probably going to end up not playing for the team because he's still working on that foot injury. I totally forgot he had that foot injury that he was recovering from with Memphis, and I wonder if that's going to lead to him not playing for the Team Canada. Like, It's a big commitment. That's why I don't begrudge anyone for not playing. It's a huge commitment. It's like six weeks of your life of your offseason before we the notoriously long NBA season. And if you're nursing an injury or coming off a season where you were hurt and you have money on the line, then, you know, I, I can understand why Dylan Brooks might not play. Um, that's not confirmed or anything, but it, it just that seems like on the wing he'd be an option there, and I just don't think we're going to see him play. So that, that definitely hampers the wing depth. And then Dwight Powell not playing hurts at the four. I think we talked on Monday, myself and John, saying that, like, Dwight Powell and Kelly Olynyk seem like a perfect starting front, front court for Team Canada. Like, to have that 4-5 where both of them can pass, both can shoot a little bit, both can defend, that seemed like a pretty ideal FIBA front court with the, the guard-heavy lineup around it, and that's not going to be the case. So I'd imagine we'll see a lot of Melvin Edgem, which, you know, you want to see anyway because he's awesome. And maybe we see, like, Chris Boucher slide in at the 4. He's I don't think he has the size to be a center, especially against teams like... Australia with you know the the like Andrew Bogut or Cameron Bearstow or whoever they have playing center, and then against uh, obviously Lithuania, I don't really think Chris Boucher is up for banging with Jonas Valanciunas or Demontis Sabonis down low. So that's going to be uh, interesting to see where he fits in as well. It's not ideal. Team Canada is going to be in tough here, um, A, to qualify, and B, to field sort of a, a best-case scenario team because there's a lot of guys, I think, still who are probably going to back out as we get closer. I think the fourth, so two days from now, is when camp starts. And, uh, yeah, it, it's or maybe even tomorrow. It, it's coming up pretty soon when camp starts. The first exhibition game, I think, is next week in Toronto. I think, I believe, Nigeria. And maybe we'll get a better understanding of who's going to play for Team Canada at that point. Hi, I'm Jake from Locked On. There's a lot to say when buying a new home or car, but really the first words you want to say are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And trust me, as someone named Jake, that is a fact. That's the phrase that will help you feel good knowing that you have people who can help you find the right coverage for the things you want to protect. Insurance doesn't need to be complicated with a State Farm agent. With so many coverage options, it feels good knowing you can find what fits you because your situation is unique. And State Farm is there to help you feel supported with the coverage you need for your car, your home, and even boats, motorcycles, RVs, and other things that matter to you. And when you need ways to get help, don't yell or be angry because State Farm gives you options there too, in person or on the phone with your local agent or on statefarm.com or their award-winning app. State Farm lets you do things your way. So when you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember to say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, let's get to your listener questions. We got a whole bunch of them. I probably can't get to all of them right now because I got to pack and I also got to sleep because I got to drive 15 hours tomorrow, but I'll get to a lot of them here. So first one here comes from, um, this one comes from our pal Sixers Adam, Adam Aronson, former guest of the podcast. Uh, who wins the East, Philly or Milwaukee? 
Uh, I jokingly said to him, Pascal plays for neither of those teams, so I can't pick them. I actually think the Sixers are going to win the East at this point, based on how the rosters are made up. I think their defense is going to be something special. I think Ben Simmons, while he has his very significant issues, is not nearly as bad as people paint him to be. And he's got sort of, I think there's room for a growth there, right? Like he's in his third season, he's 21, 22. He's not done developing. Whether he's shooting threes or not in summer, I don't think that matters at all. But I think there's still room for his game to improve, his aggression with the ball in his hands. And also Embiid is fucking awesome. Like He's so goddamn good. And I think Embiid, if they manage him correctly, can have the same sort of impact he had in the Raptors series, just in a more sort of all-encompassing way where he's not dealing with gastroenteritis or a knee injury or back stuff or whatever it is. I think if they carefully manage his load, which I would think they must have learned by now, they've been so spotty with that medical staff, you'd think at some point something would click with them. And so I think Embiid is that good. I think he, yeah, I like the, the supporting cast around him more than I like the one around Giannis in Milwaukee, really. Like Al Horford, there's so many guys on the Sixers who can guard Giannis in a potential series. We saw how important it was for the Raptors to have multiple bodies, whether it was Gasol or Kawhi, who ended up being the hammer, or Siakam, like the, and, or even Ibaka for little stretches. That was so key to be able to switch guys in and out. And the Sixers are going to have Ben Simmons, who people forget, but he was really, really good against Kawhi in that second round series and made things extremely difficult for Kawhi for much of that, that those seven games. Um, so you have Ben Simmons, you got... Al Horford, who we know is one of the best Giannis defenders there is. Joel Embiid seems like he can kind of screw anybody's day up. He screwed up Pascal Siakam pretty significantly. And I think without a jump shot for Giannis, it's going to end up being him versus Embiid at the rim a lot of the time. And I might count, uh, I might lean towards Embiid in those situations more often than not, just because he's such an all-encompassing, amazing rim, rim protector. I just, he's so, so good. I, I The thing about the second round series for the Raptors is that it made me really, really respect what Joel Embiid is as a player. I was always a little bit on the fence about his sort of conditioning or whatever. It doesn't even matter. He can be in bad condition and still be a plus 40 in a game because he's Joel freaking Embiid. He's amazing. And so that is the reason I think the Sixers are going to win the East as it stands. Maybe the Bucks make a move or something, but I'll say Sixers for now. Uh, next question here. Uh, this one comes from Eric Morris. Is it time for a court redesign or a special court or for whatever 25th anniversary uniform they, cover, they come out with? Proposed some ideas. Uh, he's thinking the OVO court style, but with, replaced the gold with the VC era red, and inside the three-point line is purple, like the Skydome era. I think that's too much. I like some like fun elements on a court. I don't like it when it's too loud. Like something in between what the Pelicans have had for years, where it's just completely like a stencil. Uh, inside the arc is just like a stencil of their logo and there's no paint or anything like that. It's just like lines for the three-point line and, and, and the key and that's all. I don't like that, but I also don't like when it's just like so much in your face. It's so busy all over the place. I really, really hate, and the Raptors have this right now. It's not quite as prominent as it is with some teams, but I really hate when the inside the three-point arc is a different color than the wood outside the three-point arc, outside the three-point arc that is. I hate it. I think it looks stupid. I think it looks trashy. I think it looks busy. So I hope the Raptors get away from that if they're going to redesign the court. I do think it's probably about time, and I really don't think you can go wrong. If like The Raptors' color scheme is really good. They've done really well with the style. They've done well with like the chevron becoming a more prominent piece of the jersey, and I think 
the OVO jersey, the OVO floor that Eric talked about here with the sort of chevrons on the bottom. Like, I think that looks insanely sharp. I would also mind seeing, like, a skyline. I like seeing the skyline, um, like, and, like, I like those on floors where the city doesn't have a particularly nice skyline. Like, I think, think of Cleveland, for example. Like, they have the skyline on their floor, and it's just Cleveland skyline. Like, if you had the CN Tower as, like, the center court sort of marker and then you could kind of build up the skyline from there across on the baseline like on the bottom of where you see it on the tv i think that'd be pretty cool just like sort of like a gray shadowy type thing and then i could i could get on board with like like a little bit of purple accent i guess well you don't know what the jerseys are going to be i love alternate courts as well i think people know that about me give me as many alternate courts as possible it's a way to flex your financial might have alternate courts. I know they're like $100,000 a pop. That's nothing to MLSC. Have alternate courts for like, that four different courts you just rotate around and have 10 games played on each one of them. I don't really care. Have a Christmas court. I don't give a damn. Like, it's not my money. And uh, I think it's pretty cool looking. I don't think the inside the purple, like, inside the arc purple, I think that's a little too much. That's like Charlotte Hornetsy. And I think, here's the thing. I know like the 90s jerseys and stuff for back and cool again. I would tread softly if sort of thinking about making that a full-time thing because I think that would get old real quick. There's a reason those things went out of style extremely quickly in the 90s. It's because they became not very cool and they looked, they looked pretty dumb. I think having like a, like, a, like a special jersey with the Raptor on it, a special court with like a little bit of sort of over-the-top accents that, that harken back to some of the earlier days of the team, that's fine with me. But if you go with that full-time, I think that would look pretty ridiculous and I don't think they should, they should have purple unless there are purples in the jerseys because then you get into like the Atlanta Hawks thing where they were wearing like neon green but their floor was like white and red and had black they they had no idea what they were doing for a long time there and so I think you got to avoid that don't be too busy but I think you can work in some sort of Toronto elements which would be pretty cool uh, next question here this one comes from uh, Dylan Littman. If salary matching didn't exist, who is the best player on the Raptors you would straight up trade for Terrence Ross? <laughs> I like this one. Uh, it's certainly not Kyle Lowry. It's not Pascal Siakam. It's not Marcus Gasol, even though Gasol, maybe with his age, you could be talked into it. Ross's contract now, I'm glad he got paid. It's going to be a little bit more odious to trade for. I know the salary matching doesn't exist here, but I'm just thinking of the player and sort of their value in a vacuum um, and how their contract re reflects on their value or how it sort of influences their value. And I think it's probably not Surge. I don't think it's Fred Van Vliet. It's hard to say. This is such a recency bias plagued question because I don't want any of the Raptors currently on the team who've just won the title to be gone but um, like I would certainly trade any of the new guys like Stanley Johnson or Ronda Hellish Jefferson for sure I wouldn't trade Matt Thomas because Matt Thomas is a legend already I would not trade OG I don't think I think it's like the closest one is probably Serge just like swatch Ter <laughs> swap Terrence Ross back for Serge Ibaka but um, honestly I'm almost okay to leave well enough alone. I think I like too many of the Raptors to do it, but probably Rondé is the, the guy that's the real answer here, is like the best Raptor I would trade for Terrence Ross, straight up. Uh, next question here, it comes from Ari Ross. Uh, how do you feel about Kyle Lowry playing in the World Cup this summer as it seems like he can, or as it seems like he has to carry the team since most other guys dropped out? Um, first of all, I don't think he's going to have to necessarily carry the team. Like, this is FIBA. It's only 40-minute games. I think there's going to be enough depth on the U.S. team even without 
all of the guys who have dropped out. I just I, I think Kyle is going to be able to manage it. Like he knows his limits. I think with like NBA coaches, Greg Popovich is is running the team. Greg Popovich is not going to run a dude into the ground with the NBA season coming up. He's smarter than that. He's the king of load management, or maybe should have been when Kawhi was there. But um, you know what? Like they they rested guys so well and managed guys so well in San Antonio. I feel like Pop would do the same with Kyle. And also, I just think it's cool as shit that Kyle is so dedicated to playing for the U.S. team. This is a guy who, in a vacuum, probably is not one of the top 12 players who would play for Team USA in a given year. There are so many good point guards. If everyone was playing, he would never have a shot of even touching this team. And I think it's cool as hell that Kyle looks at it and says, man, I'm going to take advantage of this. I already have a gold medal. Let me go to FIBA. Let me be an Olympian. Let me be part of this program for a long time. Let me build up some sort of Hall of Fame cred, all this stuff. I think it's fucking awesome that Kyle is so into playing for Team Canada. I think it should be envied, and I think more guys should be following his example. And guys like Landry Shamit. When's Landry Shamit ever going to make a Team USA ever again? It's pretty ridiculous that he's like, no, I'm going to drop out and prepare for, for the Clippers season because I'm going to come off the bench and do, you know, just play 24 minutes a game, whatever. I think the guys like that who don't take the opportunity when it's there for them, I feel like they'll probably regret it at some point. I mean, playing for Team USA, it kind of goes in cycles, right? And I feel like in a couple years' time, if the States kind of have has a bit of a downturn here with so, so few guys really being interested in playing, if they do what they did back in like 08 or whatever it was when they go full on once again and they get the sort of the full crew around, there are going to be guys who just never have a chance to play for Team USA again. And I think that is going to be a missed opportunity for some guys. I think it's cool that Kyle Lowry's so into it. I think it's awesome that uh, Marcus Smart seems so into it and all the guys who are there I think it's like it's not like it's going to be a bad team or anything either right like they're still probably going to win the tournament you're going to get some fun experience you're going to get to go to play overseas like that's pretty cool to me so yeah I have no problem with Kyle playing over there and I think uh, it should be commended that he's doing it and being so committed in doing so Uh, next question here this one comes from thanks for the chip Uh, where do you think Boucher will fit into the rotation do you expect him to be a major factor on, on the Raptors for the next couple of years. I don't. I think Boucher is really fun as like a low leverage, low stakes, garbage timey, playing against the Hawks on a Wednesday in January type of player. I don't know if he's the kind of guy who sort of earns or elicits a lot of trust from the coach. He is obviously pretty undersized and outmuscled by a lot of guys, even the guys who are a position or two down from him. And I just don't really see Chris Boucher being all that much of a factor next season for the Raptors. I mean, maybe he slides in at the four a little bit, but I just think with all of the wings the Raptors have and all of the minutes Pascal Siakam's going to play on his own, he's probably going to play like 33 to 37 minutes a game as a starting four. I just, I don't, unless there's like an injury or something, I don't see Boucher really getting a ton of run. And if he's getting run, I don't think it's going to be all that impressive or, or that you know meaningful. I, I love Chris Boucher. I'm glad he's on the team. I'm glad he gets a ring for the team. I think it's awesome that when he plays in the G League, he absolutely fucking shit cans teams. Like he's so, so good in the G League, so, so good in Summer League. But I just don't know how well it translates his body in particular to the NBA. And I, I think he's probably going to end up being like the third or fourth big on the team. I think he'll firmly be behind Abaka and Gasol. And if they, they were still running like a full, like a traditional sort of two big setup, maybe Boucher gets some third big run, like say Bebe used to back in the day. But I, I don't really see it given how many minutes 
um, Ibaka, Gasol, and Siakam are going to take up in the front court, and then you throw in OG, who's probably going to play a lot at the four, and then you throw in Rondé, who's definitely going to play a lot at the four. I just I don't really see there being a path to a lot of minutes for Boucher. That's disappointing, but it's cool that he's on the team. Glad he's there. Glad he's there for garbage time. He's an outstanding garbage time player. If there were a garbage time All-Stars, he would be on it for sure. He has no conscience, and that's great. That's the exact kind of thing I'm looking for in a garbage time player. I just don't really think his skill set necessarily translates super well to being like a full-time rotation player in the NBA. This is Jake from Locked On. Locked On has teamed up with State Farm to spotlight some of the greatest supporting players in NBA history. After beating the Heat led by LeBron James and Dwayne Wade in 2011, Dirk Nowitzki won an NBA title and proved himself to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But there was one player in the starting lineup for the last three games of the finals that helped support Dirk all the way to a championship, J.J. Barea. Led by J.J. and Jason Terry, the Mavs' second unit proved to be the strength throughout the playoffs, where they led the NBA in bench scoring. But for games 4, 5, and 6 in the NBA Finals, Mavs coach Rick Carlisle inserted Barea into the starting five to help the Mavs space the floor and put more playmaking around Dirk. J.J. Barea had a knack for running the pick-and-roll with Dirk that helped the Mavs score more efficiently on their run to a title. Dirk Nowitzki couldn't score the way he did if he didn't have much-needed support from someone like J.J. Barea. Sometimes, you and I need that kind of support, too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Uh, next one here comes from... Uh, Mark Regina asks, uh, two-parter, can you see Stanley Johnson taking the starting shooting guard spot, and what's his ceiling? Uh, I think his ceiling is at best, like... 3 and D guy who is not necessarily great at the threes, like a 34, 35% three-point shooter at the very best, even though there's no track record there of him doing so. Maybe he can figure that out. I don't think he has any offensive juice with the ball in his hands. He's an outstanding defender, which is going to keep him on teams for a long time, I think. He's a ringer on defense, but I think his offense is so, so far behind his defense that he's just going to be a guy who you can't play in a playoff series. That's kind of his ceiling to me, is the kind of guy who... Maybe you can stick in the corner in the regular season and he's useful. He gives you some good production. He gives you some good defense. But in a playoff series, he'll be kind of unusable because his offense will be such a liability. And as far as the shooting guard spot, I think it's going to be Norm's. Like, people seem to be just, like, really ready to take the job away from Norm. I just would like to see him run with it. They're committed to him for the next three years at $10 million plus a year. Like, there's nothing to lose from trying him out, at least, and seeing what you have. The thing about Norm's career is it's been so inconsistent in terms of his role. We don't really know what he'll do when he has the same role for an entire season, right? Like, he's been so jostled back and forth, starter, bench, rotation, not so much rotation, like just sort of bit part looking for minutes, playing two minutes at the end of the second quarter because Dwayne Casey just wanted to get him some run. It's kind of been a bit of an inconsistent ride for Norman. He's been a soldier through it all. He's done great things in the playoffs, uh, especially to the Bucks, which is great. But I, it just, I don't know why people are so eager to take it away from him. I think there's room for him to be pretty good in the starting five as well as the fourth or fifth, fifth option. He's always been better when he's been that. He's always been better when he can stand in the corner and wait for a swing and attack a rotating defense and use his straight line drive game. He's a little bit better on the drive and kick now. He's not so one-track minded where it's just only lefty finishes and nothing else. He's got more finish around the basket than he had a couple years ago. And I think he's going to be fine as a starting two. I, I think at least give him the, the shot. And then if he doesn't get it, I think... Terrence Davis probably is, for me, the guy I'd rather see be the two as opposed to Stanley Johnson. I'm not particularly high on Stanley Johnson. I don't know 
at the time, the like 10 seconds after Kawhi Leonard signed with the Clippers, signing Stanley Johnson made a lot of sense because he was, you know, uh, a bit of a post-hype guy. He's a guy who could fill in and take some wing, wing minutes. Maybe you can turn him into something. But after the other signings the team made, Terrence Davis, um, Rhonda Hellish-Jefferson, even Matt Thomas, doesn't really make that much sense to have Stan Johnson on this team. I think I'd almost rather have like a more competent backup point guard than an extra wing who is probably going to be in a dogfight to even see any minutes. Um, like I think Rondé is a way more refined offensive player, even though he can't shoot, he can actually do some stuff with the ball in his hands and is a comparable defender. And I just I think Stan's going to be the one who loses a lot of minutes here, and it seems like a bit of a redundant signing now if you sort of reverse engineer it. And I think Terrence Davis to me, what he offers as sort of a rugged on-ball defender. You know, obviously Stanley Johnson is a better defender than, than Terrence Davis, who's a rookie, but Terrence Davis has a bit of more sort of craft with the ball in his hands that Stanley Johnson just has never had. And so I'd like to even, I'd just like to see what he's got. It's mostly just, I think we know what Stanley Johnson's got, and I'd rather see what Norm Powell's got as a full-time starter, or see what Terrence Davis has, uh, just as a guy with a bit of upside who bet on himself. Like, I, I think those guys, the Raptors have done a pretty good job of identifying, and I wouldn't mind seeing it. Uh, next question here from Ava Rose. Do you think the Raptors should get Carmelo if they had the roster space? <sighs> um... So, look, I don't think the Raptors should get Carmelo Anthony, and people may roast me for saying this, but I do think if there's a team that could use a guy like Carmelo Anthony in a certain situation, it would be the Raptors, who just lost a whole lot of offensive creation in the form of Kawhi Leonard, are going to be without a lot of shot creation in their starting five. They have Kyle, they have Pascal Siakam, they have Marcus Gasol doing his thing from the elbows. There's still not going to be a ton of just like, all right, give the ball to that guy and let's see him go to work. I don't think Carmelo's that guy. I think he's a horrendous defender and I don't think he's going to take well to like a bit part as like part of a bench mob as a four who just stands in the corner and then once in a while sort of runs the offense and, and finds easy looks just because he's got that in his repertoire. But... The Raptors, if you're looking at the holes in this team, there's a world in which Carmelo is the guy you stick in there. Again, I don't think they should do it. I don't think they will do it. But if you're looking around all the teams in the NBA, and if you're looking at like the five teams that it makes the most sense for, I think the Raptors are probably in that top five, which is weird to say, but there's kind of a vacuum for shot creation. And if there's one thing Carmelo Anthony's always been good at, it's been finding his own shot. Is it always the most efficient shot? Absolutely fucking not. It's it's usually horrible mid-rangers, but he has that a little bit and the Raptors need that a little bit. Again, don't think it's going to happen. Don't think it should happen. But if you squint, there's maybe a tiny little fit there on the wing. Let's move on before someone throws tomatoes at me. Uh, do a couple more here. I'll do one more here. This one comes from uh, Don at Offhand Scoop. Biggest bump in usage slash fantasy value given the departure of Kawhi. How will it affect the Raptors' style of play and who would benefit most? Siakam absorbing uh, most of the ISO plays, etc. Blah, 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 blah. Um, so biggest bump in usage, I think, will probably go to Pascal. I think Pascal is going to have a usage near 30 this season. Um, I think he was just north of 20 last year, if I'm not mistaken. I don't have the numbers up right now because my internet is not working. But uh, I, I do think Siakam is going to lead the team in usage, and I think it'll be a pretty significant margin. I think we'll probably see um, Kyle with the second highest usage and 
Maybe there's an argument. Jacob Mack, actually, from Raptors HQ, I read his work, he's great. He has made the argument that maybe Serge should start at center just because the lack of shots that are going to be going around in that starting five with Gasol passing out of stuff and Kyle looking for the, the, the more sort of intelligent play and moving it along if he sort of gets back to what he was doing last year where he was just constantly looking to, to, to play make and set guys up and average nine assists a game. There might be sort of a vacuum of dudes who just want to take shots. So maybe Serge Ibaka is a guy who can absorb those looks. I think Gasol, if he's like told, hey, just go be Memphis Gasol and take more shots and and be effective as like the third option, I think he would do that. I think he'd take that on. And I think you can spread the spread the, the sort of love around there a little bit better. Um, but again, this kind of goes to what I was saying about Carmelo, but I'm not going to continue talking about it because again, tomatoes, ah, ducking. But um, the... Yeah, I think Siakam for sure is going to have the highest usage. I think this is going to be a team a lot like, you know, the Jazz teams of like the Gordon Hayward era where they ran a lot of stuff and they ran it and and sort of it was a lot of intertwined stuff where it took, you know, 18 seconds to find a shot, but the shots they were finding were really good. I think we've seen this team can be sort of a ball-moving heavy team. I think we saw during the culture reset season in 2017-18 where you could argue, I think, that this roster is more talented than that one or at least more suited to the modern NBA and to having a good offense. Um, Like, that team was just like a beautiful team to watch. They ran amazing stuff. I can imagine they'll try to get back to that more this year. I'd imagine that's what Nick Nurse wanted to do when he first got the job before he knew he was going to have Kawhi Leonard on his team. And when Kawhi comes, you make certain concessions and you win a title by doing so. But I think if in an ideal world, Nick Nurse had his way, it'd be much more like the 2017-18 offense than it was for long stretches of last year's team. And so I think we'll see sort of a, a move back to that. I think we'll see a lot of sort of cutting and and driving and kicking and resetting and redriving. I, I think we're going to see a lot of that. I think we'll see a lot of Gasol working from the elbows in a way that, say, Jonas Valanciunas wasn't really comfortable with in the past either, although we saw near the end of JV's tenure, they started to use him out as sort of a dribble handoff guy a little bit more. I think there are some tricks up Nick Nurse's sleeve, and yeah, the lack of just like one-on-one shot creation is going to be a problem, but uh, I think they can figure that out and sort of have like a sort of Hawks light style offense uh, with what they have. Less shooting, obviously, but and maybe even not like necessarily all that much less shooting, but I think that's what we're going to see. Long possessions where they try to milk a very, very good shot out of some really intricate actions. It'll be a fun team to watch, I think. It'll be interesting. I think our, our friend Cooper Smither over at Raptors Republic and Raptors Playbook is going to have himself a time sort of diagnosing all the new plays they're going to bust out this year just out of necessity because they don't have that on-ball creator, and it should be a lot of fun to see. Uh, this podcast was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, I had a lot of fun. This was great, and uh, I've, I've had a lot of fun fill in the summer and I'm going to take a couple weeks off as I mentioned I will be off for the next two weeks I'm going out to Nova Scotia and it's going to be a great time but I'm not going to have much internet and I don't think there's going to be that much in the way of Raptors news on the other side of my vacation I will be talking a lot of Canada basketball as we head to the World Cup obviously whatever Raptors stuff comes up too we'll do that we'll do more mailbags I'm doing mailbags again because I shut down my Patreon page in which I sort of reserved for the mailbags just because it was just not really uh, just I didn't have the time for it. I really didn't. And I thank everyone who did uh, subscribe to that briefly. But uh, I've, I've decided to ditch that and just come back to the regular podcast. And so the mailbag is now a regular part of the rotation once again. 
So we'll have more of those throughout the offseason. Uh, hopefully we get some fun guests on as well once I'm back from vacation. I'll work on a bit of a list of guests. Uh, maybe I can get some good interviews lined up for the uh, September, August sort of dead time uh, before the Raptors get media day going late in September. Can't wait for that. We get scheduled games now sort of leaking out too, which is a lot of fun. It's going to come very fast. This is an insanely short off season, So I'm taking advantage of it best I can and taking a couple weeks off. If anything enormous breaks, our pal Vivek will jump in and uh, do a podcast or two over the next couple weeks. Uh, he's kind enough to do that, and I appreciate him deeply for doing that. But if not, thank you for tuning in. Enjoy the couple weeks without having to hear my voice. And uh, please go back and listen to Wednesday's episode in particular, or Thursday's episode with myself and Katie, where we uh, get really weird and do some voice acting, and it's a lot of fun. So that's going to do it. Please subscribe, rate, review, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, Himalaya. You can uh, still purchase We the Champs. It's still available. Myself and Alex Wong wrote it. I'm looking at it on my desk right now. It's very pretty. And if you want to purchase it for your off-season summer reading, if you're going on vacation you want to read a book, why not read We the Champs? You can get it, and you can save it for later as well. You can read it 10 years from now. And you remember the awesome playoff run that the Raptors just had. Um, that is uh, very much appreciated if you find it. Amazon, Indigo, Kohl's, Costco, wherever it is you get your books, you can find it still. And uh, that will be all for the next couple weeks. Thank you so much for tuning in. And I will talk to you on the other side of my lovely vacation, unless I die from lobster poisoning. All right. Have a good one, everybody. Talk to you soon. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. 